Greetings, friends. Bonjour. Buenos dias. Shalom. Bon dia. Good day, my friends. Today is April 23rd, and you are listening to the One Year Bible Tour. My name is David McAdam. I'm pastor and Bible teacher here at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts. And we set out on this journey through the Bible 112 days ago, and now we are in day 113. We cross another threshold today. Having concluded the book of Joshua, which is the first in a section known as the historical books that follow the five books of Moses, today we start the second book in the second section of the Bible, the historical books, the book of Judges. We are now coming into a tumultuous period in the history of Israel in which there are cycles of oppression and deliverance. Israel is now a loose confederation of city-states. Instead of honoring God's law, the people do what is right in their own eyes. And that's a theme in the book of Judges. How like our culture today. People live by their own rules, justifying their idolatries, and living within the confines of their own depraved thoughts. And yet, once again, God will prove himself faithful. I'm sure there's much that we can learn as we read through these pages. So let's go to this, the seventh book of the Bible, Judges chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated ten thousand of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek at Bezek, and fought against him, and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled. For they pursued him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. And the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem, and captured it, and struck it with the edge of the sword, and set the city on fire. And afterward the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites, who lived in the hill country, in the Negeb, and in the lowland. And Judah went up against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron, now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, and they defeated Sheshai and Ahiman and Talmai. From there they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name Debir was formerly Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kiriath Sefer and captures it, I will give him Aksah, my daughter, for a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, and he gave him Aksah, his daughter, for a wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Give me a blessing. Since you have set me in the land of the Negeb, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. And the descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up with the people of Judah from the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the Negeb near Arad. And they went and settled with the people. And Judah went with Simeon his brother, and they defeated the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and devoted it to destruction. So the name of the city was called Hormah. Judah also captured Gaza with its territory, and Ascalon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. 
And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain, because they had chariots of iron. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. For the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of the city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites, and built a city, and called its name Luz. That is its name to this day. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and its villages, or to Anak and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages, for the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer, so the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, or the inhabitants of Nahalal, so the Canaanites lived among them, but became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko, or the inhabitants of Sidon, or of Alab, or of Oxib, or of Helba, or of Afik, or of Rohab. So the Asherites lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. So they lived among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and of Beth Anath became subject to forced labor for them. The Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come down to the plain. The Amorites persisted in dwelling in Mount Heres, in Aijalon, and in Shaalbim. But the hand of the house of Joseph rested heavily on them, and they became subject to forced labor. And the border of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akrabim, from Selah and upward. Chapter 2 Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept, and they called the name of that place Bochim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of a hundred and ten years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, 
north of the mountain of Gaash. This is the end of our reading of the Old Testament portion from the book of Judges. So let's take a step back and see how far we've come. In the book of Judges, we have the record of approximately 350 years of Israel's history after the death of Joshua. There are seven cycles of spiritual declension and deliverance. About a hundred of those 350 years are many dark ages in which people turn away from God to serve their preferred idols. The Hebrew title of the book is Shofetim, meaning judges or rulers, deliverers or saviors. Some are warrior rulers, Othniel and Gideon. One is a priest, Eli, in the book of 1 Samuel. And some are prophets, Samuel and Deborah. These various offices point to the Messiah. The book demonstrates the need for a righteous Savior to provide deliverance and put us in a right relationship with God. The book records seven apostasies, seven servitudes, seven heathen nations, and seven deliverances. The verse that describes the period historically and spiritually is, quote, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. End quote. Judges chapter 17, verse 6, and Judges chapter 21, verse 25. This book, like the book of Ruth that follows it, was written many years after the events occurred, when Israel had satisfied its own desires to have a king like other nations. Judges chapter 17, verse 6, chapter 18, verse 1, 19, verse 1, 21, verse 25, and Ruth chapter 4, verses 17 and 22. Our contemporary culture of relativism is well reflected in the words, every man did what was right in his own eyes. The Holy Spirit inspires the historical record of this period in such a way as to provide warning and instruction for us today. We know that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. We read about the Holy Spirit coming upon certain individuals, Othniel in chapter 3, verse 10, Gideon in chapter 6, verse 34, Jephthah in chapter 11, verse 29, and Samson in chapter 13, verse 25. The Holy Spirit helps them to accomplish God's purposes. The Bible is the story of the return of the king. In fact, that would be a good title for the Bible. We were created by God to be governed by him in the kingdom of God. There can be no kingdom without an enthroned king. In the first century A.D., when the apostles preached about the kingdom of God, they were announcing that Israel's true king had come, Jesus of Nazareth. However, rather than receiving Christ as king, many despised and rejected him. He came unto his own, but as a whole, his own received him not. John chapter 1, verse 11. As we read through the Bible, we'll recognize that King David was anointed as king by the prophet Samuel, while another king, King Saul, was on the throne. King Saul represents the natural man and the natural choice of man. When the greater David, that is Jesus of Nazareth, the prophesied son of David, was announced as Christ the king, the rule of the natural man, the kingdom of self, stood in the way. Therefore, the gospel of the kingdom is a call to repentance of sin, that is, the rule of self with its ways of self-redemption, which involves turning to the living God through faith in the person and work of His Son, Jesus Christ. Joshua failed to disciple a successor. He did manage to challenge his generation to leave their preferred idols for a season, 
either the idols of the previous generations in the wilderness and Egypt, or the idols of the Amorites and Canaanites, and join him in serving the living God, in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 to 15. However, when Joshua died at the age of 110, enemy strongholds remained in the promised land. Israel had been warned of the spiritual and moral compromise that would occur if they failed to obey their marching orders to fully drive out the enemy. This is a reminder that each one of us must pursue the process of sanctification. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, and 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. It is the will of God that we pursue holiness in every area of our lives with uncompromising obedience to the captain of our salvation. Joshua chapter 5, verse 14, the overseer of our souls, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. We read this benediction in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. A doctor can prescribe medicine for you to take for your illness, but if you do not take it, you are a hearer of the word, but not a doer, in James chapter 1, verse 23. The process of spiritual decline begins when we are hearers only. We may be practicing a form of godliness, but be denying the power that makes obedience unto godliness possible, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. As in the previous six books of the Old Testament, we are reminded that in spite of the frailty and disobedience of human instruments, God persists in advancing His purposes. After the death of Moses, the plan for Israel to receive their inheritance in the promised land was not abandoned. Joshua pursued these God-given objectives. Now Joshua had died, and although there were many failures, God was not hindered from moving forward towards His stated objectives, which would be fulfilled in Christ. Although His people experienced defeat, He will not be defeated, and His purposes will not be thwarted. In the first chapter of the book of Judges, we have the recorded failure of the tribes to drive out the enemy and possess the land. Judah is victorious at first. This tribe is the first to take the challenge to go up and fight. Judah's successes are recorded in verses 2 through 18. The city of Bezek is taken and the Canaanites are defeated at Jerusalem, though not driven out. The tribe of Judah is successful in defeating Zephath, Hormah, Gaz, Escalon, and Ekron. Then we come to the word but. It is a word that is used often in this chapter to point out Israel's failure to do what they were told. Now the Lord was with Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had iron chariots. Judges chapter 1 verse 19. A similar thing is said of the tribe of Benjamin. But the sons of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem, so the Jebusites have lived with the sons of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Judges chapter 1, verse 21. The house of Joseph, that is the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, also compromised with the enemy. They went up against the city which was originally named Luz, now known as Bethel. Instead of fully driving out the inhabitants, spies from the house of Joseph negotiate with a man and his family, permitting them to go free if they would provide needed information about gaining entrance to the city for their planned attack. The man and his family go free, only to build another fortified city of resistance and naming the city after the one the Israelites had been told to conquer. 
They named the city Luz, Judges chapter 1, verses 22 to 26. So in principle, the city they thought they conquered reappeared, and the writer notes that it remains to this day. There's a powerful application here. If we don't thoroughly deal with those forces that war against our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil, their corrupting influences will reappear and threaten to remain. Judges chapter 1 continues to list the failures of the tribe of Manasseh in verse 27, Ephraim in verse 29, Zebulun in verse 30, Asher in verse 31, and Naphtali in verse 33. The tribe of Dan was constricted, hindered by the Amorites. In the New Testament, we see that Satan is a hinderer and will do what he can to hold us back from fulfilling our God-given mission in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18. We have a summary statement in verse 28. They did not drive them out completely. It came about when Israel became strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. Judges chapter 1, verse 28. Because the writer had the advantage of hindsight, he was able to reflect upon these events and identify the seven cycles of apostasy in which the people of God turn away from him, call out to him for a deliverer, and then receive the deliverer whom he raises up to restore their peace. The writer is able to see the continuity of God's purpose. The commander-in-chief remains, the angel of the Lord, the captain of the Lord's host, whom we met in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. The angel is a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Trinity. He claims to be the one who brought them out of Egypt and into the promised land. He rebukes the Israelites for making covenants with the enemy and not tearing down false altars. He rebukes them with these words, Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. Judges chapter 2 verse 3 The rest is history. They name the place where the angel announces this bad news, Bokim, which means weeping. How is it possible that the people of God who had been delivered and provided for by the good hand of God should turn again to Baal worship? Judges chapter 2 verses 11 through 12. Now let's go to our reading from the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 29 through chapter 22, verse 13. Luke 21, verse 29. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Chapter 22 The Plot to Kill Jesus now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, 
who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. This is the end of our reading from the Gospel according to Luke in the New Testament. We can bank on the words of the Lord Jesus Christ coming to pass, and yet never passing away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Luke chapter 21, verse 33. The worries of this life, wasteful and self-indulged living, will blind us to the fact that there is a day of judgment coming. Just as spring is followed by summer, Jesus assures us that the kingdom of God will come. Jesus' predictions have come true and will come true. Jesus taught daily at the temple and then retreated at night to camp on the Mount of Olives. This is where one day in the future he will make his arrival as the King of Kings. Let us fix our eyes on the reality of this future kingdom and pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. While the crowds gathered in the temple to hear Jesus expound the word of God, the so-called Jewish leaders were delighting in the possibility of him being betrayed into their hands by Judas. Jesus spoke of the imminent Passover meal with authority. He told his disciples to prepare the meal at a place already prepared. They would be guided to this secret location by a man carrying a pitcher of water. Disciples can take assurance from this event. And they left and found everything just as he had told them. Luke 22, verse 13. And now let's go to the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms. And we come to Psalm 90, which is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And he will sing of the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep away them as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. 
Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And this concludes the Song of Moses in Psalm 90. We have this all-important reminder. Life is short. We soon will be standing before the Lord, so let us live accordingly. Teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90, verse 12. Let your work appear to your servants, and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. That is a good prayer for today. Psalm 90, verses 16 through 17. May your spirit-wrought efforts be successful. Psalm 91 is a great psalm of protection. Let's read that now. Let's sing of the secret place of the Most High. Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near to your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And this concludes Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is a great psalm of protection. Do you recognize the Lord as your protector? Verses 9 and 10 emphasize that we must choose to abide in him. For you have made the Lord your refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. How are we to interpret these words? We must remember that they are given in the context of the Mosaic covenant of blessings and curses to those living under the law. The Psalms are part of the Hebrew hymn book. All of the Bible is written for us, but not all of the Bible is written to us. John Phillips, in his book Exploring the Psalms, sums up the distinction well. Quote, we need always to remember when interpreting these wonderful psalms that they are part of the Hebrew hymn book. These are not gospel songs written for those who have put their trust in Christ since Calvary. They are old Hebrew hymns and belong primarily and essentially to the nation of Israel. 
we need to exercise spiritual discernment before claiming such promises as blanket guarantees of well-being today. The Old Testament blessing for Israel included national prosperity and divine protection. So long as Israel walked in step with God, there was not a nation that could defeat her in battle or successfully invade her land. The godly Jew could legitimately claim the promises of Psalm 91 in an hour of danger and could expect that, although people fell all around by the thousands, neither the flying arrow nor the sinister pestilence would come near him. But we are not Old Testament Hebrews. We are New Testament Christians. For us, God's blessings are essentially spiritual rather than national and temporal. We have no unconditional guarantee from God that as we live godly lives, we shall escape the ordinary terrors of life. End quote. And certainly we can see that this is true today, as many godly followers of Christ are experiencing the terror and atrocities of war, such as today in the Ukraine, the brutality of abduction, such as in Nigeria and the Sudan, imprisonment, as many in China for their faith, disease and death. We face hardships and persecution and cannot claim immunity. John Phillips goes on to write, quote, As a boy, with the other children in school, I was issued a gas mask, just like everyone else at the beginning of World War II. My father taped up all our windows as protection from flying glass, should the bombs fall on our street. One did within 50 yards of our house. We had an air raid shelter in our garden, and many a night we cowered there as searchlights probed the night sky, bombs came streaming down, and shrapnel from anti-aircraft guns fell like rain. We had no immunity from the perils of war just because we were Christians. We lost loved ones and Christian friends. End quote. What we are given in this psalm as New Testament believers is a reflection of God's steadfast love towards His children. The New Testament book of Romans explains, quote, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Now let's go to the treasure chest of God's wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 13, verses 24 and 25. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. True love must dare to discipline. This proverb does not advocate physical abuse. The rod of parental authority is to represent the authority of God. Those who do not correct the foolish, the disobedient, the disrespectful, and rebellious behavior of their children do not really love them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are faithful who have called us to sanctification, and you will do it as we cooperate with your grace. Help us to fulfill the objectives you have for our lives, that we may know, revere, and obey your word, 
and know, revere, and obey your Son by the power of your Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thank you for being a part of our Bible reading community, and I hope that you were freshly invigorated with the promises of God, His faithfulness, and His love towards His children. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can respond wherever you get your podcasts, or you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. If you'd like more information about New Life Community Church and its ministries, you can go to our website, newlife.org. And we look forward to continuing our journey through the Bible tomorrow. God bless you all.